This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Wins off Lucic to dump it behind the net for Studnika. Bottom of the right circle, threw it to the goal. Rebound, loose to the crease. Tries, gets it to McDonough. He scores! Aiden McDonough has his first National Hockey League goal in his second game in the league. Back to Weger, in for Hannafin, one-timer, near side, missed the net, rebound, they score! Jonathan Huberdeau at the bottom of the left circle took the ricochet off the end boards and beat Thatcher Demko. The Flames have tied the game at four. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. Here come the Flames the other way, two on one. Backlund in front, Toffoli scores! The former Canuck, Tyler Toffoli, scores his second of the night. On the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks lose a thriller in overtime, 5-4 against the Calgary Flames here on home ice at Rogers Arena. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. As always, get your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And uh, on Pride Night here in Vancouver, a thrilling matchup between the Canucks and Flames. A lot of goals, a lot of back-and-forth action. And controversy galore, as always. Some questionable officiating uh, in the third period. And you know what? The sting may not be as uh, sharp as it may have been had the Canucks actually been in a playoff race at this stage. And I know a lot of fans would prefer them to lose to get the high draft pick anyways. But I think everybody's kind of miffed at that high sticking call on Elias Patterson, which... I'm not sure it was a high stick on Elias Patterson. And when wa- we were watching it, I'm going to bring Randeep Janda into the conversation in a second. Satyar Shaw with Bik Nazar. But it looked to me, both officials missed it. Because I was watching, I looked at both officials, neither guy reacted, and then you see the linesman get involved a little bit. It looked like the linesman called that penalty, and I'm not sure it was a penalty, Randy. No, if you look at the play, Walker Dewar actually, the puck is kind of in the air. Elias Patterson stick in the air, and guess what? Walker Dewar hits it from the bottom, and Patterson... Stick hits Walker Dewar as a result of Dewar hitting Pedersen's stick. So really, more than anything, it was a, yes, there was a high stick, but that had nothing to do with Elias Pedersen. It was not his action that caused it. So uh, that one was, you know, it kept everybody confused. And you could tell Rick Tockett was angry. Even as regulation was end- ending, he was still talking to the referees. And that's something that, you know, you look back and say, great game, honestly, from an entertainment value perspective. Excellent, but Calgary ends up scoring on that power play, and you look back and say, honestly, that should not have been a penalty call to begin with. Yeah, technically it's Pedersen's stick, but Come the on. action in which it, it's initiated uh, is done by Dewar. Puzzling, puzzling decision uh, in a big moment, and I almost just wonder if that's the one they should extend to extra minutes and go review it and take it off the board to try to get it right. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's one of those. I mean, the, the thing that got me again: none of the officials had their arms up, and they yeah. huddled together. Yeah. And if if you're going to huddle together and call something that neither official initially called, you better be right about yep. it. Yep, totally. And they were not right no, about and a, it. A part of me also wonders that the reaction from Dewar. First of all, he, you know, as any player would, if they get hit by a stick, he has that reaction. And then there's the angry reaction. He goes after Pedersen. How much of that is the linesman essentially saying, "All right, there's a reaction. We should, mm. you know, you should not, you should." watch the actual play and base your react, you know, your call on that, but I do wonder if they looked at the player and said, oh, we missed that one, we better call this, or the refs missed that one, we better call it, but regardless, if you look at the replay once, in tight, 
That is not a penalty call. No, yes. I, I listen, and, you know, I see people, people texting in, too, and, you know, a lot of people are, are upset about the call, and the penalty shot call was also bad. A high stick should have, uh, shouldn't have been called. Should be a public apology by the linesman. Since when does a linesman call a high stick? Is, so a lot of that type of reaction, but at the same time, some people like Alistair and Victoria finding some luck going our way. Back-to-back -back losses. So really, it comes down to your perspective in watching this hockey game. But the Flames were clearly the better team tonight. They, they clearly had the territorial advantage. But given the fact that they had, what, 40, how many shots on goal by the end of this 41. Week? 41 shots on goal. They did the... The volume was not indicative of the quality, and despite them having more quality than Vancouver, it wasn't significantly more than Vancouver considering the amount of puck possession and shot totals volume the Flames had. We'll also add in the attempts as well, right? You're just talking about shots on goal. Uh, as far as total attempts in this game, uh, the Flames end up with 86. Sorry, 87 total attempts in contrast to Vancouver's 38. So, territorially, yes, they had the advantage just as far as sheer numbers, but as far as shot volume, overwhelmingly in their favor. And we talked about it, me and Reach, in the, in the intermissions. This looked like it was shaping up to be a game where one goalie had to be better, one save better than the other one. It's not on Thatcher Demko. Thatcher Demko was spectacular. It looked like yep. he was going to steal this for Vancouver, but the, the volume kind of overtakes that idea that the goalie had to just outdo the other one for sure and you know you get hit with that amount uh, a lot from the outside but also credit to the Canucks 25 block shots in that game too so the the shot attempts that you're talking about uh, a lot of plugged up shooting lanes and this is a, a desperate Calgary Flames team as much as you know the Canucks had that lead they were opportunistic in their own uh, chances where Bavillier scores that goal seconds after Calgary responds this was a I think credit to the Calgary team for not giving up because heading into this game guys when they're trailing after 40 minutes, 0-18-3. This is their first win this season as they've trailed after 40 minutes. So they they were hungry. They probably knew in the intermissions that Winnipeg ended up throttling the Detroit Red Wings tonight. So I think they were there was a lot of perimeter, but in that second half, especially in the third period, yeah, they benefited from some power plays. But you, there you could tell they were hungry. They were trying to get more to the net as much as possible. Yeah, and I mean, the thing with Calgary, too, is for a team that is facing... Uh, elimination in some degrees, trying to make the postseason really do or die games. Wholly unimpressed by how they played yeah. the game tonight, especially how they started this game off. I mean, I just see somebody texting in and saying, you know, if I'm the Flames, I worry about being just being barely being able to beat this Canucks team. And you know, we talked about how the, how the Flames, if they actually get to the playoffs with Sutter hockey and goaltending, maybe they can be dangerous. But I mean, they just lack so much in terms of just their overall engagement. like They don't look like a quote-unquote Sutter-type hockey team right now. No, they if they were to make the playoffs, and that's a big if, you look at their schedule right now. they got Anaheim, Chicago, Winnipeg, Vancouver, Nashville, San Jose again. So the schedule is the softest in the NHL down the stretch. Meanwhile, Winnipeg has New Jersey, Minnesota, Calgary, Colorado. Not easy. But the way that they play right now, I know they play in a rough-and-tumble game, a physical game, guys, but if you start looking at the high-end talent, Elias Lindholm has half the goals he did last year. The loss of Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau has taken away that high-end, you know, scoring power that they had. And I understand Kachuk and Gaudreau did not necessarily do much in the playoffs. They kind of went MIA. But the point is, do they have that high-end ability to take out some good teams, even if they make it? Uh, that's a real question I have here. Um, if you play a disciplined game, 
and you keep them to the outside, hey, Toffoli will do his thing. He's having a hell of a year. But if you look at everybody else, kind of pedestrian. Yeah, I, I wonder too. The, the, the one thing I do always wonder about a Terrell Sutter team is, man, it is not easy to play him in a seven-game series. Now, I do think they'll probably be knocked out in one, but you're not going to get out of that series cleanly. And if they just get to the uh, the playoffs, how much of a mental reset is it to just say, look, it's 0-0 for everyone right now. Let's just try to play our game. We know we can be physical. We can know we can wear teams down over the course of seven games. Do they make it really tough? Randy, you know me. I know you, Mr. Defense. In, I'll, I'll back an eight seed yeah. that just creeps into the playoffs, plays some defense, and maybe they, they make it tough. Yeah. But right now, look, like they're not even really playing that great defense. Okay, no. But on, on top of that, four goals on 20 shots on Jacob Markstrom today, yeah. where if you want any chance in the playoffs and you're going to absorb pressure playing a Colorado perhaps or whoever's in first in the Central or, or the Pacific for that matter, uh, you're going to need a good goalie. And right now, Markstrom, even though he played great against L.A. tonight, uh, n- not the numbers he wants. Well, I mean, look at it this way. The Canucks had 28 shot attempts towards the net, and seven of those shot attempts were high-danger scoring chances versus 59 at 5-on-5 five five for the Calgary Flames, and 10 of those yeah. were high-danger yeah. scoring chances. So it just sh- shows you, despite the fact the volume was in Calgary's side, they give up quite a bit of quality going the other way in, in the odd-man chances. And, you know, that, that is massively, you know, problematic here for this team. Now, something positive for Vancouver. Aiden McDonough scores his first career goal. And, you know what, I'm just smiling thinking about it. The joy you see in a kid's face when he scores his first goal, it's just absolutely amazing to watch. And it's made even spe- more special because his best friend is on the ice <laughs> helping him score that goal in Jack Rathbone. Yeah, that was awesome to see. And, you know, that first game in Chicago, generally when a player takes that rookie solo lap, they are kind of understated. They're looking very serious. Aiden McDonough had a huge smile on his face in Chicago. He scores that goal, and he is so, so happy in that moment. On the bench going back, you can't contain his grin. Uh, and then to have, you know, a friend, not, not like an a acquaintance that you met in high school or as you worked your way through the ranks, somebody you've known since grade three to be on the ice when you score your first NHL goal, guys. Yeah. Like, how tough is it to stay in touch with people that you grew up with. These guys are on the same team playing on the same, you know, ice surface at the time of his first NHL goal. And yet again, what happened in that Chicago game? Emergency recall, Jack Rathbone comes up. What happens today? Emergency recall, Jack Rathbone comes up. So call it coincidence, call it luck, call it whatever you want. Awesome to see. Yeah, some would just say fate. That too. <laughs> yeah, like the, the, the list of circumstances that have to happen to create the moment is so bizarre. Uh, and just falls perfectly for for a cool moment for Aiden McDonough. And again, like we, Reach and I were talking in the intermission, like there are traits there, right? Yes. Works hard. Does he need to improve things? Of course. Uh, and the one thing he's got, he's got a goal scorer's instinct. And there you are. You're a big body too. Park yourself in primary prime real estate. Puck finds its way to you. And the thing I liked is, yeah, okay, it was a couple of hacks at it, but there was no panic in it, right? Yep. Still just got it, put it in, and, yeah, you can just see the smile on a kid's face. And shouts to Jack Stadnik on that goal, too, because he's the one yeah. who brought the battle level to – he gets a secondary assist, but without his play, they're not getting that goal. And what I liked about McDonough and a couple other moments, too, is, you know, shouts to Kyle Bros, who's landing hits on Milan Lucic and Nikita Zadorov, some heavy hitters. Blocking a huge shot as well. He, massive, but Aiden McDonough also – 
couple of moments in this game going after the big dog Milan Lucic. This is a, a player in his second game and, you know, making that play. I appreciate that where you're saying, all right, hey, this is my, my second career game and I'm not going to back down. I like to see that from a young player. Yeah, I like that too. And, you know, he doesn't look like he's behind the pace too much, which I like. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying he's a burner, but he doesn't look slow out there, which I think is a positive. But is there a bigger story for Vancouver before he lets you go than just Thatcher Demko between the pipes again tonight? I mean, it, what a bounce back from that performance. I know it gives up five goals here, but that, that's quite the bounce back considering how he played against the Blues. Oh, for sure. And Thatcher Demko, I think, where you know a couple of those saves are highlight reels ones where yes. he's going from right to left, makes a glove save. Uh, the one in the first period on Michael Backlund, the double save, where Backlund is right on the doorstep and Demko does not give an inch. Uh, you know, solid the whole way through, even though... There were moments, a lot of moments, a lot of attempts uh, from the Calgary Flames. Uh, another person that I want to give a shout-out, because I, I think in today's game we saw the stick work of one Elias Pettersson, where pucks are in the air, knocking it down. That goal, like just the ability to, off the puck, just make a great play. So Demko was excellent in this game, but Elias Pettersson, the goal is one thing, but he starts off that play behind the net to cause the turnover, and we saw that over and over again, where if there's a puck looser, just so hungry guys that I I loved his game tonight too and it's something that we talk about often this guy scored a point in 14 straight games but you know every single time you see him on the ice it seems like he's just doing a little bit more something a little different adding a new wrinkle to his game really nice to see that tonight Randy great stuff calling the game alongside Brandon Batchelor and uh We'll chat with you coming up on Sunday. Cheers, guys. Have a good night. Uh, you got it. That's Randy Janda calling the game alongside Brandon Basher. Canucks lose in overtime against the Calgary Flames. We'll talk to him coming up, previewing the L.A. Kings game on Sunday, 5 o'clock puck drop, and he'll be here for the call as well. Keep your reaction coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650, or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And, Bick, a lot of the reaction is obviously on uh, the uh, the call late in the game, and we talked about that coming up as soon as the show started here on the post-game show. And there was mixed reactions. Some people saying it was called the way it was supposed to be called. It's a high stick, and by the letter of the law, it was the correct call because you're supposed to be in charge of your own stick. I think there is exceptions when a player has his stick lifted. In the case we saw with Elias Pettersson, so I think that's the kind of difference here. But... Um, Obviously, a questionable call that goes against the Vancouver Canucks. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox. We'll keep breaking this game down. We'll hear from head coach Rick Tockett as the show rolls on in the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Here come the Flames the other way. Two on one. Backlund in front. to Toffoli scores! The former Canuck, Tyler Toffoli, scores his second of the night and 33rd of the season in overtime to give the Flames a huge come-from-behind win in their chase for a playoff spot. They beat the Vancouver Canucks 5-4. Canucks lose in overtime against the Calgary Flames. They did blow a two-goal lead the ninth time time this season. They've blown a multi-goal lead to lose, and it is the Calgary Flames winning in overtime 5-4. Tyler Toffoli. Hmm, heard that name before in Vancouver. 
Two goals for the Calgary Flames, helping them win, including the game winner. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. And Bick, a lot of reaction on the text inbox. We'll get to the phone boards coming up in a few minutes' time as well. 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. But the text inbox, it is jumping here. Uh, yeah, just really quickly on uh, Tyler Toffoli as well. On just games in Vancouver since departing, He's got now 12 points in eight games, seven goals in eight games. Since leaving Vancouver. Just on on games just in Vancouver. In Vancouver. Yeah. Seven goals now in Since Vancouver. the 2020 season. Yeah, and then he has a bunch. It's a lot. He has a bunch on home ice as well. Oh, yeah. No, he's 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 been doing fantastic. It's like 25 goals against Vancouver. It's like something absurd ever since uh, he left the Canucks as a free agent after spending some time here. Really wanted to stay in Vancouver, but we don't need to rehash it's, that. Uh, so now it's 10 goals in 15 games. Against the Canucks. Against the Canucks since 2020. 10 goals in 15. And yeah. 17 points in 15. Yeah, not bad. Checks out. Not bad. I think it's he, a lot. These are the first two goals he scored this season against Vancouver, I think. That and sounds even, right. Yeah, I think he scored like eight of them in that one year in the North Division year. Uh, all right, 650-650. Ryan in Shemanis. The NHL has to find a way to review penalty calls and no calls. You know, we've talked about this too. Review how far do you want to go down the rabbit hole on a night like tonight. See, this is my thing, right? On a night when we're frustrated about the length of reviews, tonight's a night where we look at it and say, oh, it'd be nice to have an extra review. Yeah. So it cuts both ways. I generally you know, would lean on the, on the way of less reviews. Yes. Because that one to me is not enough. It, it, it's not a goal, right? Yeah. Like you can still kill the penalty, get over the, the, the moment. To me, the majors, the big ones and stuff like that, you can't review everything. I do agree it's, it's a blown call. I don't like the call yeah. at all, but I can't review everything. Uh, this one says Demko is getting play the rest of the season. So much for not overplaying him. Why even bother taking Hughes off the ice just to grind in the dust and roll partners with him? Uh, so, you know, some people are still wondering what, why the head coach is playing these guys a lot. But others are wondering if the head coach is trying to tank considering they had Di Giuseppe uh, out uh, for the overtime shift, which led to the goal right before it as well. I mean, well. they created a chance themselves, they did. to be I fair. Know, I know, but I'm just, say, I'm just reading what the text inbox is saying. There are it, people that are, say, are saying, yeah. what, is, what is this coach trying to do to win the game? Others are saying, is the coach trying to tank? Like, what is going on? But that's literally three-on-three. Three. Like, three-on-three three is passive until one chance gets created, and then it's chaos. That's what And it is. the Canucks create the chance, and it goes the other way. It, it's, <laughs> it's not as if it's like, oh, the chance happened because Joshua and D. But that's the way it is. Like, <laughs> if you don't score in your chance, there's going to be a chance going the, the other way. The chance against happens because yeah. they had a chance for. Yeah. And it's going to invite uh, pace into the game. Uh, that's why that chance happens. I, I don't look at that necessarily as – because it was Joshua and PDG on the ice. No, I'm, I'm there with you. Cole Harbor, Hayden, why won't they sit Chaos Giraffe? What a terrible game for Myers. Others also critical of Tyler Myers' game. Now, get a couple ten more texts in, Bick, before we go to the phone boards. Yeah, Jay and Poco, really frustrating trend. Can this team lose and not gain a damaging <laughs> point? Well, their lottery odds do not change this evening. They come into a tie now with Detroit, both at 75 points after 75 games. Detroit's got the tiebreaker, though, so Canucks stay in eighth slot with 6% lottery odds. Uh, Philly is four points away, uh, but as we've detailed here, Sat, Philadelphia – uh, I believe have now one game in hand. Yeah, one uh, game in hand on the Canucks. 
Uh, so they have a chance to creep to within two points, but we'll see what their next result looks like. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, we'll get to more of your text messages and we'll get more reaction, and we are going to hear from Canucks players and a head coach, but let's get to the phone boards as well. Let's start things off in Burnaby where we have Kevin on the line. Kevin, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Uh, how you guys doing? Good, Good, man. What's going on? Yeah. Okay. Just uh, I played hockey my whole life, so um, it's, it's my whole thing. So I, I dissect everything. So I'm just going to tell you one thing really quick. I love Quinn Hughes and the escapability out of his own end zone. But if you, on the winning goal, if you watch, he does not know how to defend in that situation. He's just standing up straight. you got to be skating backwards, sprawled out, ready to defend that two-on-one, boom, flat out on the ice. So, he just, so I hope they can find him a partner that can be a very, very good defensive. Because in this situation, it's uh, not good because he's so good at, to get the puck out, out of his own zone, right? But he needs somebody else to help him, like like Shen, where like we, we all like we all know, right? He was the guy that was diving the ice, blocked the shot coming across. But that was probably the worst ever. If you watch the highlight, that's probably the worst two-on-one trying to block the shot, got the pass coming across. If you understand, and I love him, he's a good guy. But moving forward, they need to find him somewhere. But I'm so proud of these guys. So how are they working in pocket system? It's going to work. Hey, uh, Kevin, thanks for the phone call. Uh, that's Kevin and Burnaby calling in, not liking how Quinn defended that. I mean, you're not going to have a D partner out there in overtime because mm-hmm. they go, you know, it's three. They go two forwards and one defenseman. And there are going to be two-on-ones going back the other way. I, I guess you can always look at defending two-on-ones and could you do a better job of it. It's a difficult thing to do. I mean, you either take the pass away or give the shot. If you do neither, I, I kind of get what Kevin is getting at on this it's, point. I, I think it's the way he pivots it. Yes. He doesn't really commit to the ice to go face down and, and slide. He kind of just opens his body up and goes to one knee and is trying to cover up as much space. It, it's not overly well played, but in general, it, it's I, I think it's a point of preference, like what you want your D-men to do on, yeah, on two-on-ones. I, I, I personally would say stay on your feet. I, I agree. I, we think that a lot of guys get down, but I get the point. I get the point is if make sure give the shot, take away the pass, because once the pass comes across, it's you know it's going to be difficult. He's kind of not stop. doing either in this yeah. play. So I get what I get what he what he's trying to say there, and then also I mean you want to talk about a little fatigue perhaps. I mean he played thirty 30-16. minutes thirty sixteen too, right? But yeah, uh, I get what Kevin is getting at there on the text message inbox. But did say I mean I mean sorry calling in, but he did say you know Quinn's amazing. Just didn't like how he defended that play. All right, uh, let's continue on the phone boards and let's go to. North Shore, where we have Gary on the line. Uh, Gary, what's going on? What do you have for us tonight? Hey, hey thanks for taking my call. I, I know there's probably a lot of people uh, questioning how Myers played, uh, who was horrific, but my, my question is, talk of being the coach that he is, and you got Rathbone, who has been playing quite well, why are we playing Myers so much? Obviously, by the first period, we really knew that he was he was horrible, and then he was horrific on a lot of other plays. So, where's the line come across that we, we don't make a change there. We, we say, okay, he's having a really extraordinarily bad night. So getting someone like Rathbone and, and getting more time to make Burroughs or other players, and then at the same breath, you got Rutherford wanting to, to pay. There's a lot of empty red seats, as you, as you saw there tonight, and, uh, and Rutherford wants to add more money for season ticket holders. Well, I know probably for myself, not a 10-game you know, pack holder, my next little seat's probably going to be the TV set because it's getting too expensive and uh, we got to get a, a better product. And we're paying money for someone like Myers. And I know that maybe it's a million-dollar payout in June or something to get rid of him. 
but it was horrific to let him play and sad to let him play tonight like the way he was playing. It was it was just terrible, terrible. Thanks again. I'll listen. Thanks. Bye. Hey, thanks for the phone call. That's Gary in North Shore calling in. I mean, so as far as the ice time goes, Myers played 22-28. Mm-hmm. Breeze ball alongside with him was 17-48. Yeah, Kyle Burrows just under a hair under 20 minutes of ice time tonight. Ethan Baird, 21. We mentioned Quinn playing over 30. Jack Rathbone, despite being a plus two on the evening, 941 mm-hmm. on the night in terms of ice time. And he's not a righty defenseman, and he doesn't play. I agree. Myers has had his struggles and, hey, some mm-hmm. rough moments again tonight. No doubt about it. But what he's being tasked to do in that role is quite different than what Rathbone is being asked to do. Not to say that Rathbone may not, you know, be somewhat better in some circumstances. Always be careful when you're looking at a young guy like him and then saying, hey, why don't you just give Myers' minutes to somebody else? I'm here for the discussion of even Burroughs. Like, maybe that pair should have been sheltered a bit more. But it's one of those things, like, the coaches still feel more comfortable throwing big minutes to Tyler Myers than one of those either younger defensemen or depth defensemen. Because even when Willannon was healthy, Juleson and all those, those guys still played significantly fewer minutes than Tyler Myers. Yeah. Yeah. It does come down to just, hey, a veteran versus a, a young player. And I do think part of the equation becomes, do I want to put a young player in a game that we're clearly getting territorially dominated? And you're going to be in your own end a lot. How much do I trust a player that we've played a handful of games here to play 14, 15, 16, 17 minutes? And, and what will that look like? Because, you know, we do talk about setting guys up for success. But, look, it's, it's fair to say Tyler Myers was not playing very well tonight. And I actually thought Kyle Burrows – uh, was really strong tonight. Obviously, we mentioned the the hit on Milan Lucic. He had a fantastic shot block at the end of the f- second period on Tyler Toffoli. Kyle Burrows doing a typical Kyle Burrows performance where you show up and you be gritty. Um, but in general, as far as reduction of minutes from Tyler Myers, look, it, it's a fair point. I just... I don't know who you give those minutes to. Who's the to. candidate to try to give it to? Because every time we've seen – and, again, like Myers has had his issues. You know, we see people – one word sums up how his play, a lot of cuss words. You know, I mean, we see a lot of that stuff, right? I get it. Uh, and Jeremy Langley says Myers can make some brutal plays, but, man, he's clutch sometimes, especially clearing the zone on the PK. Still chaos, though. Huh, that Jeremy Langley. No doubt, right? I, I completely agree. Like, he's chaotic. Like he played seven minutes – just shy of seven minutes on the PK. When we Who's s- taking those minutes? Yeah, and when we've seen – and, and – and here's the thing about uh, Myers on the PK. You know which Canucks defensemen on this team currently have been better than Myers on the, on the PK, Bick? None of them. None of them. It's tough then, yeah. And, and he's he hasn't been good. Mm-hmm. But those other guys on the PK have not been better. The results have not been better. The differentials have not been better. They just haven't been better. That's an indictment on how much more work they need. And that's what we sit here and talk about, Bick. What's the priority for this team defensively? Find a penalty killer. Find a good defensive defenseman. Find a couple of those guys. That's what you really need. Right now, they're forcing guys into those roles that simply can't handle them. And Myers is probably your best bet out of the ones there to feed those big minutes. Just because Myers is struggling playing 22 minutes a game doesn't mean those other players wouldn't struggle more playing those minutes. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. There were a couple interesting plays for Jack Rathbone where I thought he maybe, and again, I didn't mind this personally, but I wonder from the coaching staff if he was a bit slow on his decision-making coming out of the zone. Yes. 
where nothing was there, and so we kind of turned in and kind of ate the puck and, and put it up against the glass and kind of dealt with it thereafter. I thought it was a safer play rather than just ice the puck or just throw it away senselessly. So I, I didn't mind it as much, but there were, there were a couple of moments where I did kind of take note, and it's like, okay, he didn't move the puck as quickly, but nothing really bad materialized from it. So I thought maybe that would be a thing that you just kind of gloss over and say, hey, plus two on the ice for some positive things. But I didn't really notice a lot out of Jack Rathbone's game uh, that, that merited him getting less than 10 minutes. Yeah, I didn't see anything positive either. Like, I didn't see anything overwhelmingly positive. I saw some good things, like you mentioned, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of there with Rathbone. It's not quite sure if if I see it yet. You know what I mean? And I see a lot of good things from him. I just don't know if I see the trust it, it's, yet. It's more about people wanting to see guys up the lineup out of default. Yeah, and I understand that. If, if, if he was flying and you're making the plays and it's like, hey, this guy is clearly going tonight, Given, I, I think I understand it more, but... It was really just Burroughs to me that was the one that maybe could have got a few more minutes because yeah he was he, he was, was good he was I, very active and when he's played bigger minutes generally he's struggled but tonight had a solid game had a strong game I totally understand it uh, this text here unsigned it's okay it's okay you want to tank you play Myers over twenty minutes per game don't hold him back this way the bonus he's due will be a wash that's a text coming in and we'll see Myers is uh, he's due a five million dollar bonus this summer once that gets paid out one million dollar salary. The deal becomes a lot easier to move. We'll see if that actually does happen. And him playing and not getting healthy scratch, well, it should at least help the leverage to some degree. At least you would hope so. All right, we'll get more to more of your reaction here coming up in a few minutes' time. But let's continue on the phone boards as well. And let's go to Gary in Maple Ridge. Gary, thanks for holding on to your line. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Well, first of all, can you hear me all right? Yes, we can. Um, I wanted to say something. You know, you've been talking about Myers for the last few minutes. Uh, that third goal, he was on his right side. He was defending okay, but didn't have anybody stick. Breezebaugh, number 55, was way over on the other side, way too close to Myers. And Sketcher had all time and, his, and the weekend to shoot the puck. Uh, I'm not sure why... Number fifty-five is even out there because uh, I know that we have. I know that we're we're having troubles getting defensemen, but he is a mess. And uh, I just wanted to know what you guys thought about that. Thank you for letting me on. Thanks for the phone call, Gary. I, th- I thought Breezewell had some tough moments. He- I mean, I- that pairing on on the Toffoli yeah. goal it was just rough. did not look sharp at all. I mean. <sighs> They kind of got thrown to the wolves a little bit. You could tell. I mean, hey, no Heronic. I know Hughes played a lot of minutes. You kind of had to have somebody. It was immediately noticeable yeah. for the Heronic not playing. Yeah, it was very noticeable not having him in the lineup. And, I mean, these guys were, were essentially thrown into the wolves in, in many ways. I mean, you know, so Guillaume Brisebois had one off as his own start this entire game. One. Tyler Myers, I think, had a couple at least. but Or one, I think, he had an off as his own start in this game as well. Uh, so, yeah, he had zero kind of tells you, again, roles, right? You want to look at a guy like Jack Rathbone? Well, he wasn't getting those types of starts. He wasn't getting that type of a role. And when you're throwing a guy in defensively every time, he's out there against the team's top lines, it's going to have some rough moments. Essentially, like, who do you feel comfortable throwing to the Wolves and you know, letting everybody else do their thing, essentially what it comes down to? Because you also got to protect the young player too, right? Yeah, I mean, Myers... If it goes poorly, yeah. 
if it goes poorly for Jack Rath, well, again, this is why I said if he's really firing on a night, then you say, hey, this guy's rolling, let's get him out there. But if it goes poorly, then you're dealing with the, you know, the, the confidence of a young player and saying, hey, you got to build him back out. Tyler Myers will bounce back. Yeah, you don't worry. He's a veteran. He's he's like yeah, you, like you don't worry about the fall from grace kind of thing. And you don't care because you're moving on anyways. Potentially, yeah. Ideally, yes, yes. <laughs> Oh man! All right. Uh, keep your thought coming. Cut thoughts coming into text inbox six fifty six fifty. Let's get back to the phone boards. We get one more phone call in here. Let's go to Poco where we have Paul on the line. Paul, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, you know, first of all, let me point out the fact that you know JT Miller and Besser are here and paid highly, highly paid individuals to score goals. Both of them had one shot on net the entire game. Miller played 22 minutes. I think Besser played about 18 minutes. They get one shot on net each, okay? I don't know what, you know, what kind of odds that are if they're trying to get a scoring figure of 100%, but that's just not possible. What are these guys doing? The other thing as well is that the last section of our, of our uh, hockey game there, it just seems that the, the system that, ter- that Tockett has put in place, he's clearly favoring certain players ahead of other ones. The only good part of tonight was Aiden scored. That was good to see, uh, even though he only played eight minutes. He outscored Besser and Miller. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's just it's outrageous that these guys are floating around, uh, not performing the way they're supposed to. So the other thing as well that I want to ask you is that, now I've been watching the, the Canucks religiously for over 40 years. And I can tell you I've watched all three Stanley Cups that they've went to. I've, I've, I've watched them develop. I've seen the bad years and the good years. And I can tell you that the one thing that carries this organization, this club, is hope. When you, when you know that you're out of the playoffs, what are you hoping for? Well, you're hoping for a draft where you can get somebody young in that can come in and make a difference, like a la Trevor Linden. Uh, we've, we've, we've killed that hope. That hope is gone now. So what's the next hope? The hope is, is that next year we're supposed to be better. I, uh, with this, with this club as it is stands right now, I mean, what, is you know, Jim Rutherford is a good, smart hockey man, but you know what? He's not a miracle worker. I have no clue how these guys are going to make the playoffs next year at all with this with this lineup. It is disgusting. I don't know what you guys think. Uh, thanks for the phone call. I mean, so the lineup is disgusting. The future of the team is disgusting. I mean, is that what Paul was getting was at? getting at? Uh, yeah, I mean, hey, as far as tonight, we'll start there. Uh, Miller and Besser, yeah, I thought they were. Uh, yeah, Miller had some moments. Besser had. Be- yeah, Besser's looked like Besser. I I would say JT's night would be fine, but shading towards more of a high pitched fine, not fine. Um, look, he had four hits. Uh, was just under fifty percent in the draw. And a couple of block shots as well. Three block shots on the, on the evening. The Besser one is the one that stands out, right? Because there's no other person on that line that's playing with any sort of creativity. The offensive burden does fall on JT, wasn't there for him tonight. And Brock doesn't really bring speed. He doesn't really bring you know, strong playmaking ability where players can play off of him. It just comes down to, like, if, if an opportunity opens up for Brock, is he going to shoot? And yeah, and tonight does, you get a one attempt. But that's it. Even the attempt, like, and it, and that one does go on goal. JT also gets a shot on goal, but he has one attempt for for Brock Besser tonight. 
Yeah, just it's just not enough from him, right? And that's kind of what we've seen from him. He can score a little bit here and there, but not generating enough by himself. And it's just kind of, you know, it, there, it leaves a lot to be desired. But he's been productive. He's been scoring some points, just just not happening. As far as the other point, where are they going long term into the playoffs next year? How do they intend to do that? So, I mean, look at the team that you just played tonight. Shot count was there. That is a scrambly, not slick team. I kind of thought you'd see a team with some fire and say, hey, here's a chance to really put a nail down and start marching towards Winnipeg and trying to close that gap. And Winnipeg did win today 6-2. Uh, to two. But that is a shaky Calgary team. Like the Huberto penalty shot. I don't want to say it's like an entitled performance from them because they ultimately get the win. But it basically comes down to them getting a penalty late in the game and converting on that Pedersen penalty because if they don't get that – they're walking out of here, four or three losers, and a lot of tough questions are being asked about the Calgary Flames. The the, the second period was so sloppy. The the you know Markstrom doesn't look confident right now, and so well, we're having this conversation of how the Canucks going to take a jump. Obviously, look, this is not going to be the same lineup we see from Vancouver mm-hmm. going into next season. There's going to be changes. They're not going to go into next year with PDG on the second line. They're not going to go into the season next year, you know, Tyler Myers playing as many minutes as he is. Philip Pronick's already here. Mm-hmm. They've solved that problem. They have to they are going to make changes. And the changes if if done positively, I do think they can leap Calgary. I do think they can leap a Seattle. And I, that's the bet you're making. Yeah, and that's just leaping teams to get into a playoff spot, but you still have to do so much more to be a contender and yes. ultimately it's steps that you have to take and there's a lot of work to do and honestly Unless they make those moves this offseason and make a couple of forward-thinking moves and the team takes a step in the right direction, it's hard to look at this and be optimistic, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of it is, let's see what else happens here, and hopefully they do find ways to get this team up to that next level. I, I mean, you, there is a pathway to it. My, my first view of it is, how do you get into your division, right? It's stacking it up against the conference, stacking it up against the, the rest of the league and getting to contender status – Fair question. The, the first step is always the easiest way to get to the playoffs is through your own division. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I do wonder, like, how, what avenues does Vegas have to get better? And the way they spend to the cap and all that sort of stuff and go over, I do wonder what their offseason plan is going to look like as well because I'm not sure they can get better. Edmonton, they are volatile even within the year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, McDavid and Drysaddle are going to put you to the playoffs, but how many points are they going to have? It's it's the Kings, to me, that have the best opportunity to get some staying power here as a number one seed in the Pacific Division for some time, but their prospects have to take another jump. Well, they, their prospects, and they have to figure out their goaltending. Yeah. Now, Corpus Allo has been pretty good since coming in there, and they've solidified it there uh, with, with the net mining they've been getting, but that's one of some of the questions. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of work to do, but is there a pathway? There is if the team can make the moves they need to make. All right, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. We are going to hear from Canucks players post-game, including Andre Kuzmenko, spoke through a translator, and we'll hear from head coach Rick Tockett. It's Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts to our text inbox coming in, 650-650, courtesy of Dunbar Lumber. Canucks lose 5-4 in overtime, despite being up 2 nothing at one point against the Flames. And we'll continue right here on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back to more Canucks Central post-game show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
fins off Lucic to dump it behind the net for Studnika. Bottom of the right circle, threw it to the goal. Rebound loose to the crease. Rice gets it to McDonough. He scores! Aiden McDonough has his first National Hockey League goal in his second game in the league. And the Canucks take the lead back. It's 3-2. to two. It was great. Um, obviously, you dream about scoring that uh, in the driveway or in the backyard your whole life. And, um, you know, to get one there was, was pretty special. Aiden McDonough. We'll hear more from him later in the post-game show meeting with media, scoring his first ever National Hockey League goal after signing from Northeastern. Seven-round pick from the Vancouver Canucks some years ago. Finishes college eligibility and on the ice with his best friend, Jack Rathbone. Some of the stuff you just can't write and a great moment for the kid. Both guys being on the ice and Aiden McDonough getting his first goal in the big show. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text, text inbox, 650-650. This one says, people take this way too seriously. I love the Canucks. Have some fun. Lighten up. And Jeffro texts in and says, uh, the Canucks were lucky to even get a point tonight. Still a lot of work to do. And... I am curious to hear the thoughts of the head coach, Rick Tockett, who we'll go to here in a second, because it was one of those games where they did some good stuff, but also blew a lead, gave up a lot of goals, a lot of volume. So how did the head coach feel about the game? And here he is meeting with the media post-game. Yeah, I mean, we battled. It was, uh, yeah, you know, it's tough. Six power, they had six power plays. We couldn't handle their, their four-check. Uh, I thought they were, they were dumping up a lot of pucks, and we, you know, we tried to have a game plan. I thought a couple of guys didn't execute we wanted on that heavy forecheck, but we battled back, though. Give credit. You know, it's a lot of 12 minutes of power play, or minutes is tough, and then some guys sit the bench, so the flow of the game kind of sucked. What was the explanation you got on the Patterson high stick? I, uh, I don't know. I haven't still got one. I, I, I'm trying to, i, I got to figure that one out. I'm still trying to figure that one out. They fired a lot of pucks at your net, but a lot was from the outside. Is that something that you can at least yeah, no, uh, that's what was, Yosi was just talking about. The one thing, you know, they had some good forechecking, but we kept them on the outside. I mean, Demer played great for us too, but uh, the one thing structure, when teams are kind of coming at you hard, which, you know, they're a desperate team. You know, they're, they're trying to make the playoffs. Um, you know, you got to handle that pressure sometimes. I, I thought early on we were going away from pressure instead of staying with pressure um, against that two-man hard forecheck. But, uh, you know, like I said, then the penalties kind of took us out of the flow. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, some heavy team, two back-to-back heavy teams, so we have to realize we need to sometimes the good old-fashioned battle up high on the wall and get the puck out. And uh, sometimes, you know, we don't get it out, unfortunately, uh, enough times when teams are doing that on us. How good do you feel for McDonough, and what have you seen for him for two games here? Yeah, I, I mean, I felt, you know, great goal, obviously. And he actually had a couple of good shifts, and I couldn't get him out there because of the penalties and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's nice to get him a goal. I mean, he almost got one in Chicago. He can, he, you know, he's a scorer. What about Sheldon Dries on that play? On the play? With the McDonough's goal. goal. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that line when they, Dries, uh, Dries actually bounced back. He had a tough night the other night, and I think he bounced back. Had a good night. It seemed like you kind of got contributions throughout the lineup in terms of offense tonight. Yeah. Up, you know, it's not the same guys all the time. Yeah, it was a nice goal with uh, Bolivier there. That was a big goal for us. Um, you know, three minutes left, we got the lead, and then we got to, you know, kill two penalties again. That kind of sucks. Do you like that 
Hayden's had two chances, basically the same area of the ice yeah. in his two games. Is that a good sign? Yeah, he's not afraid to go there. You know, the, the plan, we need guys like that, inside guys that can score inside. Yeah, yeah it's a good sign. Did you detect any slippage in your club's structure between this game and St. Louis? Is there any sort of uh, bad habits you need to arrest before they become? I don't know if it's a structure thing. We a little more battle. You know, we got to win a little bit more battles. Some guys, they got to get a little more grittier and in situations, you know, when you're going to play in a playoff game, there's some battles that you got to win. You got to get that puck out, or you got to stop that cycle. Uh, we're not there yet, and um, you know, we got to get to that level, um, and that's getting stronger, uh, anticipating a little bit, and, 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 and meeting pressure with pressure. We'll get there, but um, hey, listen, another you know, another point against a desperate team. On the ice, did the officials recognize that they'd? Made an error on the door call. You know, I, I, I listen. I'm, I love Kelly Sullivan and, and uh, Pollock. They're good refs. I don't know if they even realize what happened. I, I, I don't know. It's. I thought a linesman can only blow the whistle if it's a double minor. And um, Pete, I thought Pete's stick got kind of flipped up. It was kind of a hit him on the ear. It wasn't. I, I, I think you have to blow the whistle if it's a major or, or a double minor, something egregious. I didn't see that. I mean, Kuzi got hit in the head with a puck, and he he had to come off as an own. So I I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird one. I, I still don't understand that. I'll, I'll I'll get the answer I think from the league. It's another game for Dakota Joshua playing one of your top lines. What did you think of his performance? Kind of fitting in. Yeah. Game into that line. Yeah. You know, I think you know did well in the penalty kill again. His, his game's coming. You know, he's uh, he's coming. Can you take me through the decision to put uh, uh, Phil DiGiuseppe and Dakota Joshua on the ice? And- Defensive zone face-off in overtime. What's the thinking behind that? Guys are tired, and they almost scored a goal. I don't know. Is that what you're asking? I don't know. <laughs> they almost scored. I would have been a hero, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, no. They, they, they're, they're scares are big body guys, you know. And uh, Josh almost put that in. Uh, that is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 5-4 loss, and you know, meant to some good things, the battles, and how they, you know, they were in the game. But one common. Th- thread is really emerging more and more every time Rick Tockett speaks to the media pretty much he truly believes this team lacks power slash strength Mm -hmm. a lot of guys I need to get stronger need to get you know tougher and he mentions need to get tougher in in certain areas you know you got to win battles got to be able to stop the cycle got to get pucks out when it's difficult some of it is mindset some of it is just pure power and strength I wonder how much each of these guys can improve and I also wonder if we see organizationally this offseason how much power slash strength becomes a priority in terms of player acquisitions and additions. Yeah, because my mind immediately goes to, you know, meat and potatoes style players. It doesn't need to be specifically that, not, you know, mutters. But if they're in a Dakota Joshua mold, you know, that's yeah interesting because he plays with enough skill. But certainly right as far as those styles of plays that looks like he's called them value plays. Are those the things that Rick Tockett wants to see more and more of? And look, he didn't put any names to it, but he did say, like, we didn't get it out enough. And sometimes you just got to go hard off the glass. You know, generally speaking, I'd say that's not entirely necessary. And that's why I mentioned those Rathbone plays. Again, he didn't put a name to it, but maybe those were the plays he was talking about. Because, again, I did take note on a couple of moments where he ate the puck. 
looking and, for and, some support. And sometimes it's better, but like he says, you got to get the puck out sometimes. Like you got to win the battle. You got to get a puck. You got to find ways to overcome. And that's essentially what he's saying. So for the people that are texting in, hey, how come only nine minutes for Rathbone? I just wonder, again, he didn't put a name to it. Young player. He's not going to call him out up here on an emergency recall and everything like that. I just wonder if that's kind of the plays that he's talking about. Uh, and it didn't result in anything bad, but if they're trying to focus on overall process and making sure the game is ticking along and you're not delaying decision-making and making guys come back deep into the zone because it just makes it tougher to get out, are those the type of plays that they don't look at? Or so they look at and say, hey, the, the puck just has to go somewhere. Yeah, and I think that's what it is, right? And there needs to be availability. And that's why I like, I, I like to go back and watch some of these mm-hmm. plays and see, was there a player available for a brief moment? The, the, one of them, I again, that's why I understood why Rathbone kind of turned and went, went behind the net and invited pressure. And Dockett and says it, like Calgary was setting multiple guys, heavy forecheck. And so, you know, Rathbone invited the pressure, but there definitely was not anywhere for him to go with the puck, and that's why he kind of just skated back. And I thought, okay, don't force a play. See if you can make a different one. But you're 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 inviting Calgary Flames four checkers coming downhill on you. Yeah, and that's kind of putting yourself in a tough uh, tough kind of situation here. A lot of reaction on the text inbox as well. Uh, we'll get to some of that coming up in just a second. Was there anything else from Tockett's uh, post game that stood out to you? Yeah, just the grittiness. That's right? kind of it. That's it my takeaway in general. And you know, I, I, I don't. I, I wouldn't say he thinks this team is soft. He just thinks they might be weak, or maybe weak's not the right word, but it lacks strength. How about that? Yeah. Lacks strength and, and power. There's only so much. I mean, there's only so much Kraftsoft can do in the off season. There's only so much yeah, these the, guys the overall, can do. The overall improvement that you can do in strength is incremental, right? We're talking about. 2 to 5% a guy can make. But if you swap out, say, a Brock Besser for another Dakota Joshua type, well, that's making a big jump. If you swap yeah. out a Connor Garland for a Joshua type, well, that's making a big jump, right? You can make the big jump in overall team strength just raising the overall average rather than, hey, each guy, go get stronger than the offseason. You're only going to make so many gains that way. It is going to have to come with player transactions, and there's going to be a demand to try to continue to build the roster in the vision for Patrick Alvin and certainly for Rick Tockett as well. Yeah, and, and, and that's the big thing. Now, as far as the offseason goes, we have a lot of questions on this. G-Man says, uh, this team is in cap hell. The D is brutal. Uh, you can have systems that work, so what's the next move? And this question says, going back to your second intermission chat regarding Rutherford's letter, what are the chances the omitted players will not be back next season? On TV with Ian McIntyre, we mentioned the letter to season ticket holders and how Besser and Garland were not mentioned in the letter. And it doesn't guarantee that both players uh, or either player is going to get traded. But what it tells you is the team isn't confident in in promoting those players because they're not sure they're going to be here. And I think it's also an indication of they're just not on that marketable level right now for them which means they're very much available. We all kind of knew this to begin with. Now, I would say, think of the two labels that they provided for all the examples of players they use. Core elite players. And additions. So we we know Brock Besser and Connor Garland are not elite. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're not core members. Can't make a 14-team player core, right? And then the other one was pretty much highlighting their acquisitions. Connor Garland and... um, 
Brock Besser are not their acquisitions. No. So they were they were happy to highlight Ethan Mayer, someone that they traded for. They were happy to highlight Philip Ronick, someone that they traded for. But generally speaking, uh, they're not going to go out of their way to start highlight the previous regime's uh, moves. Yeah, and I think and I think the the term was emerging talent. Yes, yeah. you know, and and I think that's our, the other part of it. Most you know mentioned Mikheyev too, and and I think their acquisition, their acquisition, exactly. And I think the point here though is. To answer G-Man's question about what is the next move, the next move, I think, is twofold. One, it's moving at least one of their defensemen. Obviously, Myers would talk about. We'll see what happens with OEL. But they kind of have to move one or two forwards. And I look at Besser and Garland, and I'm like, neither guy really fits talk at hockey, right? Neither guy really fits what you're trying to do. Now, Garland may fit a bit better because he does win some battles. He gets in there, and he's been good as the engine on the third line. But philosophically, does it make sense for your best player on a third line to be a winger who doesn't play on the first unit power play, doesn't really play a penalty kill, isn't a matchup type of guy, and he's making $5 million? That's a real luxury piece to be your player driver on a third third line. It just doesn't make sense to me. He, we, he was brought in to fit alongside Elias Patterson. Yeah. And, 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 now and, he's, and it was a miscast as a first liner. Yeah. And now he's finding a third-line role, and he's succeeding in it. Yeah, he is. But from the price of acquisition and the contract given to where he is now, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. No, are you better off getting anything you can to move that money off the books so you can do something else with that money to fit some needs that you need? So I think that's where Garland comes in. Because even with Miller, I don't know if he's – we've discussed this. He likes to have the puck on his stick. So does JT. I'm not sure he's the ideal guy there to get the best out of JT long-term. So what is his best fit? And if it's, if it's a third line without special teams play – I mentioned the word uninspiring because I think that's uninspiring to spend that much money on something who's not a good fit on your team, right? He can play somewhere else and be better for you, or at least if that's how you view him. And somebody texted in about Brock Besser, and it was Kevin from Surrey. Do you think Miller likes playing with Besser? I think Besser is too slow to play effectively on this team. And, you know, we've seen the injuries. Maybe that's part of it too. But I think Besser, and you've mentioned this, is the better fit alongside Miller, but ideally, well, hang is on, he hang the... on, hang on. I said I feel like putting Garland next to Miller creates multiple problems. Yeah, because now your third line yes. is going to start struggling. Yes, I do. It, Whereas I, I think if you put Brock next to Miller, Miller can do it on his own. But and, and now you get the benefit of Garland carrying a line. I shouldn't say carrying a line, but being the primary facilitator that. on a line. Whereas you put Brock in that line, and suddenly I think of Brock Joshua when Joshua was playing with Oman. It struggles. Th- that line's going to suddenly struggle. Yeah, but I also don't think Besser is, as much as at the time this makes the most sense, long-term I don't think he's the ideal winger either. No. So this is where it comes down to. The players you didn't hear mentioned, honestly, I I know Ian doesn't think both guys get moved. I, ultimately, it might be hard, but I think if they can get both guys out, then when we mention what are the Canucks looking for, who are some names that have been mentioned? We mentioned Barbashev. We mentioned, uh, obviously, Gavrikov. What do those guys have? Some size, some strength, some ability. Profile, again, we, mm-hmm. ta- we talked about what Talkett's mentioning, what they need organizationally, what they're looking at, and what they would be going after and how they want to shift this if they can move some salaries out. I think that's kind of what you're, uh, what you're looking at here. Uh, keep uh, the text messages coming in. Somebody texted in, and, and Brandon and Coquitlam, can you guys explain more about the Hironic situation? I'm only reading about it now. So Hironic didn't play tonight. He's been shut down for the rest of this season with a shoulder injury, and it's not that the injury has flared up. Essentially what the team and talk had mentioned today was it's not getting. It's going to be hard for it to get better while he plays. Just take the four months to get 100%. 
there's no sense in playing. If this was the playoffs, he would have been fine to keep playing through it. Essentially, they got to look at him. The injury is still kind of healing. They decided to shut him down for the year. I don't think there's anything more to it than that, Bick, but uh, what's your take on it? Which was, look, when we talked about when he would return, because there was some excitement to see him at some point. We had always talked about April, right? Come back, maybe get the seven games in, and that's kind of the, the overall timeline here. I'm a little surprised that they pushed the button a little bit earlier than that. Maybe it was just part and parcel to get him into you know, games that were more quote-unquote meaningful. Um, but it ended up being four games. We talked uh, over under six and a half. We both took the under because uh, we thought it would be closer to April. I still might say, you know, do the thing where you extend it as far as you can and, and play four games at the end of the year. But if this was a manageable scenario where you say, hey, just see how it feels and then we'll treat it as such, okay. Uh, I, I just think the timing is a little bizarre. The the, the whole timing and all this, the timing of the acquisition and the timing of when to bring him back. It's just, it's odd. I can understand it. It's just odd. Everything's kind of been odd, right? To some degree. I get you. I get him wanting to play because it wasn't a season-ending injury. Mm-hmm. And I get the organization wanted to get a look at him. And once he came and played and you're still dealing with the injury, it's like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's as simple as that. You know, I think the whole, everything that's happened this year has been somewhat confusing. Like, I just don't want to launch this into like, oh, here's another conspiracy. About no, no, it. It's, 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 but it's just, it's just odd. That's all. Yeah, it comes down to it's like, well, you were if you were hurt and you weren't trying to rush him back, why did you rush him back? One of the things is rushing it back. Like, okay, like you're not going to be like he probably wasn't going to be 100 percent until the end of the season. It's going to take some time for him to be fully 100. percent He got to a point where it was manageable, and he wanted to give it a bit of a go. And the team wanted to get a look at him. Like, I think it's ultimately that. You know what I mean? But where I think it's where I see the confusion, and I totally understand is, and we discussed this quite a bit, why make the coaching change when the Canucks made it, mm-hmm. given like you still had so much runway for the rest of the season, you're kind of trending towards a bad pick as it is. You either make the move sooner to try to get them into the playoffs or make the move later when you are ensured that you're kind of getting that. When you see it in that light, the timelines just haven't made a lot of sense mm-hmm. in terms of how the moves have made. The moves all make sense about what they're doing. The timelines have been a bit more confusing. I do I do understand that. The, the one thing that's been one of their MOs has been have the next move ready when you want to make one decision. Are you too focused on that? Yeah, it, it seems a very rigid philosophy for a group that has some flexibility to them. It is right, and and it can be, and, and I think it, I think it's also dependent on certain guys. But they're, they're, they've essentially had that mo, right? Like they're not moving guys for the sake of moving it unless they feel like there's something else they want to do, you know, or like there's something else they can line up and, and get but, done. But for instance, like the coaching thing, wouldn't have been an issue if they just let Mike Yo run the bench for three weeks. Hey, I don't disagree. Right? I mean, hey, I mean the whole Boudreaux thing. I mean, the, the whole Boudreaux thing gets gets emphasized because there was a desire to have the next guy ready immediately. Well, I mean, well, you, you just the, didn't have to do that. Well, you could have had the interim guy for a little bit, and the interim guy would have been tuned out, and we should have been fine. And then you bring Talkin at the very. I mean, yes, hey, I'm not. This isn't even like uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, we, you know, this was our take yep. initially. It said. Why even rush into making the co- – I'm all for making coaching change. I think it's fine for you to change the coach. It's just about how it all unfolded. But regardless – That's where it stands now on Philip Ronick. Uh 650-650, we're getting some text here about uh, the high-sticking penalty as well. So 
text here says, why didn't the headquarters in Toronto uh, get involved? Can't. So it's, it's got to be a four-minute penalty Has for to it a- to get reviewed, and that's what we were talking about earlier. If you're just gonna if you're gonna make that call without really knowing, just extend the minutes so you can go get it right. Yes, yes, absolutely, and um, I think that's where it's at. Uh, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox six fifty six fifty. Adam from Kelowna, I watched the game in Alberta tonight. I was with a bunch of Flames fans. Who do you, uh, what do you make of the PD call late in the game? They all agreed. With the only Canucks fan in the room, BS call. That's Adam from Kelowna. We all kind of agreed that it was. Uh, we spent quite a bit of time. I know Ella asked us our, our thoughts on it. I think we spent the first like 12 yeah. minutes of I'd, the pregame, postgame show talking about I'd this. I'd be really annoyed if I was a Winnipeg Jets fan too. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Because that's a 4-3 game, regulation loss. You just won big. And look, if they take care of their own, uh, they find their way into the playoffs as well. But I, I would be annoyed that a Calgary team just got two points tonight because they looked like they were going to be on the losing end. Yeah, it really did uh, seem that way. And, you know, one of the stories of tonight's game, obviously, because it is uh, a pride night here at Rogers Arena and a great night in terms of the celebrations and uh, and the awareness and everybody buying in completely. But obviously, the big story was Andre Kuzmenko not wearing the Pride warm-up jersey, uh, citing family reasons. And, well, he did meet with the media. We'll play his thoughts. Had a quick comment on why he decided not to wear the jersey. And we'll play that. Plus, we'll hear from Canucks players, including Elias Patterson and J.T. Miller. As a Canucks Central postgame show rolls on, it's Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Canucks lose 5-4 in overtime against the Calgary Flames. And we'll have more on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Central Post Game Show. Bringing you the most Canucks coverage in BC. Only on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Я уважаю всех людей на этой планете, но и вы тоже уважаете мой выбор, который основан на семейных ценностях. На семье, точнее, мои. We respect everybody and everybody's choices and he asked to can you respect his choice too and his family. It's all what he can say about it. That is Vitaly Kravtsov translating for Andrei Kuzmenko spoken in Russian about his decision not to don the pride jersey for warm-up, saying uh, he made the decision for family reasons and he um, respects everybody and, and feels everybody should be included and he hopes people would, would respect his decision as well. And I would say here, Bick, tonight in terms of fan reaction to Andrei Kuzmenko, there wasn't any booing up Kuzmenko when he had the puck. There wasn't this... Um, you know, murmur or anything going on. More cheers than anything on his chances that he was creating. Yeah, so there wasn't that sort of a reaction here in the building. And and I do think because he's a Russian player and with the uncertainty there, I I think people view it differently than other situations. So now not everybody feels the same way, of course, and there's been a lot of discussions about uh, decision not for him to wear the pride jersey, but I think organizationally, with how the organization handled this evening and how the event went, I thought it was a really good night, and I thought uh, the organization did a really good job in in highlighting what they were trying to highlight this evening, and and I thought the crowd was really into it the whole evening. As with all of these things, uh, look, it's easy to jump towards a negative aspect of it and discuss that. As I said earlier today on the People Show. Uh, 
this doesn't turn into Andre Kuzmenko night. It's still Pride night. It's still a celebration mm-hmm. of a community and, and and a march towards a ideal of hockey being for everyone. This doesn't take away from it. It's it's a footnote to it, much like some of the other players who have done so. Uh, it's been unfortunate to see you know full decisions made on not wearing the jerseys uh, by some teams. Canucks didn't do that. One guy steps out. Doesn't warm up, speaks to the media afterwards. They go on with their evening, yeah. and they still celebrated everything. And I thought very well done throughout the whole evening. And to me, this is a footnote through it all. I certainly don't agree with the decision, uh, but as far as the focus of the evening, focus of the evening is what a fantastic job with the performances and everything that was done here this evening. Yeah, and that's absolutely it. I know there's been a lot of reaction on the text inbox. Either way, we see your text messages on it as well, but. All, all I care about is inclusivity and having people care enough or feel comfortable enough to be fans, be able to play the sport. And that's what this night is about. Forget everything else. That's what it's about more than anything else. You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to necessarily, like Brian Burke mentioned, you don't have to enlist with everything and say that, you know, you would want to do this. Or that. All you're saying essentially comes down to is you can do whatever you want but you're welcome to play hockey. That's all what this night is really about, at least the way I see it. You're welcome no matter what the situation is. Uh, all right, we'll get some uh, more reaction on the text inbox as the show goes on here. But we mentioned we are going to hear from more Canucks players. No Ian McIntyre tonight, late game, writing duties. We're not going to have him here on the postgame show. But we mentioned Aiden McDonough scored his first goal as a Vancouver Canuck tonight. And you heard a bit of a snippet earlier, but always a great scene when you see a guy score his first National Hockey League goal. And you can't wipe that smile off his face. You can hear it through uh, through the airwaves as well. And, and here is Aiden McDonough talking about the game tonight and scoring his first goal. It was great. Um, obviously, you dream about scoring that uh, in the driveway or in the backyard your whole life. And, um, you know, to get one there was, was pretty special. How about the play by Sheldon? Yeah, unbelievable play by him and, and uh, studs behind the net there. We've been... Uh, you know, be working on at our down low play of you know getting the puck off the boards, and that's he did exactly that. Made a great play to the net and drives you with an unbelievable pass. Um, so yeah, credit to those two guys for setting it up. Talk about playing on the driveway or road hockey, and you've got your childhood friend out there on the ice with you as you score. What was that moment like? Yeah, that was that was pretty pretty special. I think uh, I think his smile uh, and excitement was even more than mine. I think he was more happy than I was. Uh, just I was a little shocked, and he was fired up. So um, yeah, I just can remember playing street hockey. His dad would play goalie all the time um, in his in his driveway in Russ Roxbury. His dad was a good goalie. So um, you know to have that come true and to have him be on the ice and the first one to hug me was pretty special. How does his dad compare to Marchman? <laughs> uh, Mr. Rathbone was really good. The only thing, uh, he was like coach, so I didn't want to shoot too high. Cause, you know, <laughs> um, but, yeah, Markstrom was obviously a good goalie. But uh, Mr. Mr. Bones is a good athlete. You had uh, a couple of chances or half chances last game. When the puck was coming to you, you probably had a pretty good idea that if you connect, it's going in. Did you have time in that moment to be nervous or think about what was about to happen? Or did it just happen? I think it just kind of happened instinctively. It's so quick out there that it's hard to kind of think. I know um, last game, 
you know, I, 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 I've always been kind of taught, my, my coach in college was always be down and ready, bend your knees, stick on the ice, like be ready for that puck when it comes. And I thought last game I, I wasn't really down and ready when uh, those pucks kind of pop, pop, popped out in the slot. Just, you know, maybe I was just caught up and just trying to, you know, play play hard my first game. And then this time I knew that if, you know, when I'm around that net, I'm going to make sure my, my stick's on the ice and my knees are bent and I'm, and I'm ready to jam it in if it gets there and it kind of just popped out. Think about your first experience in the building. It was awesome. Um, you know, I wish we could have, you know, got the, got the full two points, but uh, the fans were amazing. It was loud. Um, you know, a lot of lot of blue in the in the stand. So it was it was a really great great first game. Two games now. What do you think of the pace and adjusting from NCAA to the NHL? It's quite the jump. How do you think you're dealing so far with the pace? Yeah, it's it's definitely a jump. That's for sure. Um, you know, I think I just just got to keep working at it and getting uh, trying to get better every day. Um, you know, I felt a little bit more comfortable today. I, you know, I, honestly, I, I thought I played better in Chicago. I, I don't think tonight was my best game by any means. Um, but that, you know, the speed of, of tonight was a lot faster than it was, uh, you know, a few nights ago. Calgary's a big, heavy team. Um, you know, they play really hard. So um, guys close on you a lot quicker. you got to know what you're doing before you get the puck. Um, guys defend a lot harder. So I think, uh, you know, I'm adjusting, but it's, uh, you know, hopefully it does, it's going to take time, but hopefully not too much time. Two games where just up against an NHL checker, it's like, oh, that's, this guy's massive, something like that. Yeah, Zadorov's pretty big. Um, <laughs> tried to hit Lucic, and I just kind of bounced off him. Uh, you know, there's uh, Ch- Chicago was, you know, it's just so hard because you get caught up in the game so much, and you're just like focusing on just not tripping over your feet. Um, but tonight, I thought, you know, I was, you know, there were some big boys out there, and uh, you kind of keep your head up a little bit. You had that chance on the side of the net in Chicago. Uh, tonight you have one similar spot, I mean, other side of the net, but a similar dirty area of the ice, and, and obviously you put it away. Can you take something positive from the fact that there's been a couple chances already on your stick? Definitely. I think, um, you know, I think there's so many parts of my game that I, I can work on and be better at. I think, uh, you know, what I've showed so far hopefully isn't even close to, to the ceiling of what I can be, but... Um, I'm going to be a guy who's going to go to the net at the end of the day. I, I love scoring goals, and um, that's where goals are scored. So I know I can look at that as a positive that, uh, you know, if you stick around the net long enough, they're, they're going to go in. So um, I've been there, and they bounced, some have bounced in, and others haven't. You tried the uh, score in that Rangers-Sabres game? I was watching it a little bit when I was warming up. <laughs> it was on on the TV. Uh, how did it end up? Oh, you haven't seen it? No. Go watch, the, yeah, go watch probably... Jeff Skinner's game winner <laughs> and his belly. It's, okay. It's pretty good. Uh, but Levi did good? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah, Skinner, Skinner points him out. <laughs> yeah, not surprised. Where's your puck going to go? Probably going to, I mean, I'm just here alone uh, for now, so I'll bring it home uh, when I, when, I go to, when, the, when the season's over and uh, probably put it in the, in the house uh, with, you know, my first college puck and maybe give it to my dad for his birthday. Uh, that is Aiden McDonough uh, after scoring his first goal and talking to the media tonight. And you can just hear the smile and the excitement in his voice, right? And, you know, just, you know, talks about how big Zadorov is and how these NHL guys are. But, you know, it's... it's I cool just moments. Get, cool moments. I just can't get enough of it. Like, even I kind of hope Papa McDonough isn't listening right now because we just ruined the birthday <laughs> surprise. <laughs> I know, right? I'm sure he's been listening and taking in every single <laughs> bit of content that he's seeing his son in. And, I mean, it just it's so cute, too. He's like, I want to give it to my dad. That's going to be for his birthday. It's, I, honestly, I, we see this stuff every year because every year somebody scores their first goal, right? You see it across the National Hockey League. But I've yet to see one where I'm like, meh. And not get, oh, yeah. have a huge smile on my face. I was, I was saying in the intermission, like, yeah. two of my favorite sports things are first NHL goals, and when like collegiate athletes get the like walk-ons, get the college scholarship, 
And it's like, here you go, you earned it. Like, those are two of my favorite sports things uh, that, that can happen. And first NHL goals are just yes. so awesome. And, and, and you just see the exuberance. And, again, to do it with Jack Rathbone on the ice, too, and it was highlighted there, uh, their friendship from, from, from youth. I got to take here, Sat. Uh-oh. Is, is, it, is it weirder that those two guys are on the ice than Daniel and Henrik Sedin? Like, the odds to pull it off. Because, look, it's it's brothers that are high at the end of the draft. You can understand the logic. It's like, if we're going to draft one, let's try to draft the other. Right. There was, yeah, there, there the, the, was some th- – like, teams were trying to figure out how we get both of yes. them. Yes, and, and one team figured it out. Yes. Right? But the idea that a fourth-round pick in 2017 and a seventh-round pick in 2019, there's no, like, oh, let's go get Aiden McDonough because we have – it just let's just draft players. Yes. And then for them to both make it to the NHL, which is already a tough enough task as it is, let alone a fourth rounder and a seventh rounder, to then be on the ice at the same time, get that first NHL goal, it's 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 pretty weird. It is pretty weird. I mean, I, I still could look at the Sedins and say, man, like for us to see that happen. The anomaly is twins identical. Right. The, the anomaly here is like. But how many times has this happened in NHL history where best friends drafted by the same team years apart end up being on the ice when one player scores his first goal? Like, yeah. it probably hasn't. Maybe it's happened. It's hard. I mean, best friends have played together. Yeah, for sure. Like, that's absolutely but, happened. But it's also but hard you... to. It's not, nothing you can look up statistically because, like, yeah. the, uh, SN Stats has a lot of things. <laughs> I don't think they have a database of best friends. Like, I don't know if they can look at, like, I know who everybody's best friend was. So I think that's a difficult thing to figure out. But it, it's Hockey certainly DBs, a rarity. Hockey so yeah. got to be replaced by BFDB. BFFDB. Uh, this text says uh, William and Langley McDonough talks and plays like an NHL veteran. I'm excited to see what he brings next season. I don't know if he's going to make the team next year. Hey, I will say this, Bick. Put in work. Oh, I will say this. His shot, his his nose around the net. That's always kind of been his calling. He's the showing details some of that. Of getting low. And yeah, exactly. Like I mean, but he he does, he's not a burner, but he doesn't look out of place. One thing I was wondering about was will he look like he can't keep? He doesn't look like he's mm-hmm. out of place. He and tracks the play. Fairly well. Fairly well. Yeah, and he's not a slow skater. He can still get quicker, but I don't see his skating being this huge detriment right now. Like, I, we watch, uh, for instance, we watch Aturatu. We're like, it's so evident that your skating has to improve. Like, it, it's non-negotiable. Like, if it doesn't improve, you're not playing here next season. McDonough still has to get better, but it's not like, oh, that's my big thing for him. And mm-hmm. I thought, and that's one thing I've been impressed by. And only seen him a couple times, so I'm here in person tonight. But uh, I thought that was notable, that he moves fairly well for his size and his youth. And, and again, speed has always, to me, been about it, it's relative to your decision-making. Yes. In the, the, the past, you try to take on the ice. You can be a burner, but if you're constantly pulling yourself out of position, you're just accelerating to the spot that you're then going to course correct towards. Whereas... Again, and this guy is the perfect example for it, so I'm not saying he plays like him. But someone like Mark Stone. Like, Mark Stone's not fast, but Mark Stone is constantly in the right spot. Yes. And it's just how you choose to flow with the play and what angles you choose to take. If you're a slow skater, you can still win with angles. Pending your position and, all, and, and how the team plays around how you. How you track the play. Yes. And, and Mark Stone, to me, is like a god at yes. that, of how he tracks the play. Patrice Bergeron, phenomenal at it. Like, he can age like fine line because he knows how to track the play perfectly and the play eventually is going to flow through and how four other guys relate to him as well. So it's going to be, you know, no one's building a game plan around Aiden McDonough or anything like that, but you watch him and yeah, like the speed is a something to 
keep an eye on, but he's never chasing the play, and that's a huge it is. bonus. He's involved in the play, yes. right? And I think that's a positive. And some small things we see from Aiden McDonough, and, and we'll see ultimately where he ends up going after scoring his first ever National Hockey League goal tonight facing the Calgary Flames. All right, uh, we'll try to get some more reaction coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Now, we we mentioned Elias Patterson tonight. He's now got a 14-game point streak. Over that span, has 21 goals, 21 points, 8 goals, and here he is meeting with the media postgame about his night and the team losing. Yeah, very frustrating. Um, Yeah, we got him. Yeah, I don't know what to say. It's just for... Pissed off. Did you get an explanation on the high sticking call? I did, but I don't want to comment because then I'll probably get fined. So, but yeah, they did their best. They made a call I didn't agree with, but. Did they know that they'd got it wrong on the ice? Well, they're stubborn and they said it was right, so he's got to accept it. Disappointing after such a high energy game, Elias, with a lot of great highlights and plays. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, they were maybe the maybe the better team overall. They had more shots, more looks, maybe, but we we defended uh, with everything we can, and yeah, came up short. What was the energy like in the building? Energy was great. Um, it's always fun to play play these kind of games uh, when it's physical and um, stakes are high, I guess. So yeah, it's fun, and especially when the crowd gets into it. How good do you feel for Aiden scoring his first goal? That was, that was amazing to see. I got flashback from to my first goal, uh, so I can just understand his, or I can imagine his feeling when he scored. So, um, yeah, very happy for him. Quite the setup by Dries there. What's it like to be getting um, kind of contributions throughout the lineup here? Yeah, I mean, it's huge uh, to have the whole lineup uh, contribute and uh, make plays both uh, offensively and defensively. Uh, and I think Dries been uh, been very good lately. Do you see between Tuesday and St. Louis and tonight, uh, has there been some slippage with some of the structural improvements that you guys have shown over the past couple months? Um, yeah, maybe a little bit. We talked about it this morning. Um, it's just like small details uh, with the park, without the park, in a structure, if we can like kill the play. or but uh, it's, uh, I think it's been good lately, but maybe less... Maybe today in the last game we've been falling off a little bit from it, so we just gotta, yeah, find back to it. That is Elias Patterson uh, meeting with media after tonight's game, and you know mentions you know that there's still a lot of things they got to get back to, and you know if we look at trends now, Bick, I don't I don't like how the Canucks played against the Blues. I don't really like how they played tonight against the Calgary Flames. weren't horrible, obviously scoring some goals and they had some moments, and considering the volume weren't falling apart in terms of giving up chances. Dallas and Chicago were very low event games. Again, I would shade towards I'd rather see those games. I know it's a low event, but as far as what's translatable from the end of this year into next year, it's it's those games that feel a bit more translatable. Like this, to me, if they manage to get the two points tonight in regulation, you know, we'd be sitting here saying, like, okay, yeah, you got away with one. Demko making some amazing glove saves. But this wouldn't be a performance you want to see carry over. Whereas, this is the same thing on Tuesday against St. Louis. They get a point, but that's not really a game that you look at and say, yep, that's what we want to see come October. Yes. I mean, it, it is the, it's the type of stuff that you want to see from this team. 
uh, starting in training camp and all of that, right? Like that that's ultimately what it comes down to. But I I do think that we are seeing the is it the talkit bump, is it the newfound wave? I think we're seeing some some of it wearing off a little bit. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. this, just the like. I I, I wonder how much guys see the finish line. Now. I think that's part of it, and I think part of it is also like the, you have to be so focused and engaged and disciplined playing this style all the time, and it takes time for those habits to be like every day, and for you to like not have the moments of ah, man, I don't got it tonight. It's mm-hmm. like you have to even on those nights it has to become second nature, and those are the things that take a lot of time, and that's why, even though there's been some positives, the real proof comes over a longer stretch. And I wonder if we're seeing some of that now, because a lot of the positives we talk about are still there, but it is waning, and it's and it's incrementally waning. We're we're 13 days away from the end of the season. Yeah, they might clean out their lockers two weeks from today. Well, four more home games left. Yeah, the you know the, the Friday the 14th or Saturday the 15th is probably when they start cleaning out their lockers. There's a reason uh, why it's a a two week quitting period. <laughs> you hand in your resignation, it's two weeks, two weeks notice. Those last two weeks when you're ready to go on holiday, you're like, ah, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that meeting when I come back. Whatever it is, like that, man, they're just humans too. And I wouldn't be surprised if this last little bit here uh, looks a little more unnatural than what we saw from the previous five weeks. Yeah. Uh, Dan and Brentwood said, we need SN stats on what's a record for goalies stopping every penalty shot to start his career. Demko is four for four. Wonder if someone has 10 plus in a row. Dan and Brentwood. So, Bick, you might have some homework. Uh, yeah, I'll see if I can uh, bring that up. You can see if you can find that one out. Dan, uh, when Bick's on it, he'll find an answer for you. So, if we don't, we probably won't have it tonight because we're up against yeah. it right now. But for Sunday's show, uh, Bick will have something for you, if not earlier. But Oh, pressure. No, he'll, so, oh, we'll see about Sunday. He'll have it for you. I'm sending an email to myself, Dan, for having it for, <laughs> for Sunday. Uh, this, te- this text here says, Blues and Flames, big teams. No surprise, this team struggled. They are miles away from being a good playoff team. And, yeah, they got a long way, a long way to go. I, I wasn't impressed with the Blues nor the Flames. Um, I don't necessarily know if it's about the opposition of those teams, but they do have size to their advantage, and they did use that to their advantage in both these matchups. But I am very unimpressed with what I saw from the Flames tonight, and also unimpressed with what I saw from the St. Louis Blues. I mean, they let the Blues Canucks back into that game again. Mm-hmm. The Blues are very, very unserious. Again, it's it's that question of that middle tiering of teams. Yeah, I I, I just do the exercise of. You know, year to year carryover of put um, like arrows next to these teams. Are they trending up? Or are they trending down? To be honest, like the Blues, definitely trending down. Flames, to me, neutral at best to to trending down. They'll they'll have a certain baseline, but I, I I'm hard pressed to see the upside in this team. Yeah, it's like at, at least when Goudreau and Kachuk were there, you could say, hey, bona fide superstars. Is Jonathan Huberto, uh, like I, again, I'm a big fan of the talent. I don't know. I'm not even that big of a fan of the talent. But a, a year ago, you'd say, hey, that's a top seven left winger. Are you saying top 12 now? Are you saying top 15? Mm. And especially at the price point now? It's uh, it's kind of concerning there. Yeah, it's a bit rough. Because, you know, we, we say this all the time, like, what happens? New talent comes into the league, guys get different opportunities, and, and players start rising up the ranks. But, you know, easily, just off the top of my head, like Ovechkin, like even at Ovechkin at his advanced age, I'd say I'd rather have him for the next oh, three years. Oh, yeah. Marshan, Robertson, Timo Meyer, uh, Fiala, Panarin, 
Um, Brady Kachuk. JT, if he's playing left wing, JT Miller for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we, we were talking about this last year. I'm like, I think JT's a better player mm-hmm. than Huberto because he does more, and I think he's a better contract. And, you know, it seemed like a hot take before. And again, hey. But like Philip Forsberg hasn't, hasn't put up as many points on. Yeah. But he's a more impactful player in different ways. I'm a big Philip Forsberg fan, and yeah. you're not pushing me to a decision on that. But just the engagement level, the price point, it just really does not look like a fit. And they have committed big money yeah, to Yeah, they have. Godspeed to the Calgary Flames. Svechnikov. Uh, <laughs> forgot him. Well, Svechnikov's really good. Yeah. He's excellent. All right. Uh, that brings us to the <laughs> That one might have hit too close to the bone. That was, that was a little, little cheap shot at the end of the. <laughs> I don't know. That's okay. It's fine. The Flames, they haven't earned the benefit of the doubt uh, with how they played this season. All right. Uh, thanks for everybody re- for your reaction and your participation, listening to the post game show. Always a pleasure, and we look forward to chatting with you again on Sunday when the Canucks host the LA Kings, continue their five game homestand. Pre game show gets going at four. Puck drops at five. It's Satyar Shaw, Bick Nazar. We'll be back again for that game. Special thanks to Lena producing the show here at the rink. Josh Elliott Wolf back at the radio station, and all of you for listening right here on the Home of Your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network.